Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Dr. Celine Hamilton, who is a highly regarded child and adolescent psychiatrist and the medical director of the CATS Behavioral Unit Health Unit at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Trained in the Triple Board Residency Program at Mount Sinai Medical Center, Dr. Hamilton specializes in pediatrics, adult psychiatry, and child and adolescent psychiatry with a deep understanding of normal child development and the medical conditions that can affect children. Dr. Hamilton's primary focus is identifying, diagnosing, and treating mental health concerns that deviate from the expected developmental path. As a child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Hamilton's main goal is to truly listen to her patients and their families. She believes in building strong working relationships that lead to tangible changes for her parents and their families, bringing her great satisfaction in her work. How are you, Dr. Hamilton? Good morning. Well, thank you so very much for having me. I feel really privileged to you know, be invited to speak today. You make me sound like more than I am. Thank you for having me. And hopefully, you know, I can be of help. Absolutely. No, I'm very excited to talk to you about this. I know you are, you're a pretty big deal. I was like, wow, like Mm -hmm. I I was talking about this episode all week to my husband, to my friends. Mm -hmm. Okay, but let's dive into it. So resources, it sounds like you and I both believe that it kind of takes a village, right? Working together, community connection to help families, Mm -hmm. which then passes on to the children. One of the resources I always like to ask my guests is what is their favorite book or one that they would like to recommend? It could even be a podcast. Some people are like, oh, I like audiobooks, whatever you feel, but any resources you'd like to share with my moms listening today? Well, I definitely use audiobooks because I drive a lot and I run a lot. And so I, I, and I, I love to learn. I'm currently rereading a book that I think moms should all read. And it's called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it is a fantastic book about the fact that our intellect is not static. So, you know, we have all heard of this IQ test and we think, okay, that's There's this box that we fit into, and that's our IQ. But in fact, that's not true. Our IQs can change. We can get smarter. And that is the whole idea behind growth mindset. And I think every parent should read this book. It's amazing. And I'm I'm rereading it uh, because it's an amazing book. For those of us who are also getting older, I most recently read a book by Peter Atiyah, who is a surgeon, a surgical oncologist, but it's basically about how we can live our best lives physically and Mm. cognitively into our 90s and 100s. And it's a really important book. So, and they're both great reads, easy reads, great reads. So I love it for our moms and aging and aging parents. Yes, I love that. And I didn't read it in the bio, but are you a mother yourself? 
I am. I have an almost eight-year-old and a 12-year-old, second grade and seventh grade. Wow. So you're in the Mm -hmm. thick of the elementary and middle school. We could probably have a whole conversation about that. We could have a whole podcast about middle school. Yeah. (laughs) One of the moms in my mom group yesterday said, yeah, I have a middle schooler. She's like, and it's already. So, okay, let's, let's dive into that because... I want to ask you, and not so much focusing on the back to school, but being a parent of someone who just started, my little guy started kindergarten just two weeks ago. I'm pretty attuned with him. And we have big emotions. We have big tantrums. We have, you know, just almost rage that I've seen in various levels when he's tired, when he's hungry, but this is now coming out a little bit differently. So my question to you is, can you talk about what happens with children when big transitions occur, like maybe starting a new school with new routines? And that could be young children and teens. I would believe it's similar, just maybe different reactions. So that's kind of how I want to start this because I'm right in the thick of it. And I know a lot of moms are as well. Right. right. So obviously there are a lot of feelings that happen when summer ends, right? You've had a really good time. You haven't had pressure, particularly from the younger ones who've never really been to school per se. There's that anxiety of something new. For the older ones, there's dread, performance anxiety, a lot of social anxiety. So it's quite a disparate age group we're talking about. So it's going to be hard to separate it out. But But yes, big emotions. And the most important thing that I could say about it is children need to have their emotions validated. They need to feel heard. So, you know, if your child is having big emotions, a quote unquote tantrum, let's say, you know, bring them into the fold. I, you know, you know, of course you feel upset. You must be feeling exhausted, you must be feeling tired, they probably overwhelmed, it's incredibly stimulating, it is very hard for a little child to focus for that long in a class and try and attend, it takes a huge amount of energy. So by the time they get home, they've been trying to hold it together all day long, and they just let it out. And sometimes they just need to cry. And that's okay. And reassuring them that those big emotions are okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel frustrated, give them cuddles, you know, love them through those tears, because that helps them learn to self-regulate the more, the more soothing. And, you know, you talk to them, they, they learn that it's okay to be upset and that they can calm down and that they will calm down when they're having real tantrums about, you know, things like, do I want my egg scrambled or, or, or fried or sure. whatever poached, give them choices. You know, yeah. you can have this or that, which one is it going to be? Try and make things concrete, black and white. But key is get them to bed on time, soothing bedtime routine, warm, even if you not, you know, even if you don't care if they're clean, warm bath will absolutely help warm milk if they like milk, make sure and brush their teeth after that. Bedtime story, routine, routine, routine. Remind them before they go to school, here's something that you can think about. I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the end of the day. I can't wait to see your smiling face at the end of the day. Things that will help them stay connected. You know, okay, I'm gonna see her at the end of the day right? For the adolescents, or, you know, the, the, the ones going into middle school, these are, and we're going to talk about this later, the phones and the media, they must get sleep. They must get sleep. 
And this is something that is a struggle for every parent. As a child gets more into adolescence, their circadian rhythm changes. It is a natural thing that they want to go to bed later and sleep later. But we have to rage against the machine and try and and get sleep because school starts too early, particularly for high school, far too early. And in Florida, legislation has changed. It will be starting later in a few years. And that's great because they need the sleep. It's very important for mental health, for focus, attention. The research has shown that kids who get even an hour more sleep a night, their grades go up, their their standardized test scores go up, and certainly their mood improves. And let me ask, so what, and to tie it back to the adolescents and the teens, because truthfully, I don't think we give enough resources to moms in that age bracket, I think there's, and which is great on social media, different experts coming and it's like that zero new pre, you know, mom's pregnant. And then it's like, maybe it's a four or five and then school age children. It's like, hi. Mm -hmm. So I do want to kind of stay with that. But I want to say, so what I started, once I started realizing that my son, okay, there's some overstimulation. I was like, all right, we got to get him active. It's a little hot outside to maybe go outside. So we're putting him into some like ninja gymnastics going forward and things like that mm-hmm. for the parents of adolescents, tweens, teens, and maybe even because I could imagine up until maybe even fifth grade, maybe middle school kids might want to be in tune to that. But for the parents, for the tweens, let's say that don't want to or teens, how do we get them active? How do we get them to kind of decompress after they've had these days? Like you mentioned, the, and I know we're going to talk even more deeper about the social media, the screen time. But yeah, I guess, how can you help regulate them or um, help them calm down? Whereas my little guy can send him to ninja gymnastics. He can run around and Mm kind of let it out. What do you suggest for the parents of the adolescents and the teens? Right. So at at the risk of of making a a recommendation that's unrealistic and slash that I might not be even able to do myself, Mm. this is a recommendation I think is very important that, well, first of all, that the family eat together with no screens. That is a time when they can talk to you about the stressors, what went well, what went went poorly. But actually, it's really good to take a walk outside after dinner, even if it's really hot. It's good for your blood sugar. It's good to get out in nature. Nature is calming. It's good to get out in the dusk when the sun is at a certain level of the sky, because it sets your brain to be prepared to create melatonin, which will set you up to go to bed. It, it is something that, you, you know, exercise in itself, you know, is something that will re- reduce stress. So, you know, eating together without screens on and taking a walk after dinner. Now, half of the parents are going to say, but my kids are in extracurricular activities and we're shoving the food in and, you know, they're in their rushing. sports, et cetera. Yeah, we're yeah. rushing. Well, maybe trying to create a schedule that in a certain number of times a week, try it once a week first on a Friday night, maybe start small. All habits should start very, very small and doable. Otherwise, when they're too big, we can't do them. Right. So start very, very small because once the family realizes, oh, this is kind of nice. We like get to talk and catch up and look at the pretty leaves or whatever it is, they'll realize that they feel more connected, they feel more settled and grounded, they can they have a chance to talk about things that they wouldn't necessarily talk about if they were all hanging around everybody in their phone in the living room. 
Sure. And I know, I don't know if it was the Surgeon General or the Academy of Pediatrics, but I know there's been a lot of statistics coming out of like when it introduced screen time, and I think they've even pushed Mm -hmm. it out later. But again, like you were saying, for the sake of practicality and the real world, Mm -hmm. and sometimes things, Mm -hmm. let's talk about screen time, phone, Um, right? My husband wants to put my little guy into coding school. And I'm like, I don't want to do that till maybe he's like seven, eight, maybe a little bit older because he's still right. too young. I'm like, How that's still he? focused. He's six. He'll be six in November. Right. They could, I think so, they start, but go ahead. I want you to tell me what, okay. uh, what are the dangers? You hear people say, oh, but we watch TV every morning. We watch TV, mm-hmm. our generation. We might not have had the right. phone, but we were exposed. Right. Let's talk about that. Right. Okay. So first of all, it, you know, the job of a child is to play. Children learn social skills, physical skills, physical regulation, attention, everything from play. They're, they're, they're almost, I mean, I refused to put any of those learning app things when my kids were toddlers, there was no learning. There was playing. There were no, I, I wasn't teaching them anything. I refused to teach my child when, when she was in preschool or whatever there, she doesn't know her numbers and her colors. I said, I don't care because she needs to play. That's her job. The longer you can postpone screens, the better, because every, every fun screen thing is a dopamine hit that causes a little bit of a, you know, an addiction and then they want more. This is the reason that I suggest delaying phones for as long as possible my philosophy is basically until your child is not attended by an adult, like is not under adult supervision Uh for any period of time, then they don't need a phone, right? Because technically there's an adult who's looking after them who can help them. Sure. Right. Now there are also parents who decide to wait even longer because when we were kids, we didn't have phones all the time. We took the bus without a phone, right? Things have th- changed. Yes, yes. Things have changed, right? My, my, I have an, a nephew who lives in another country and he walks for half an hour to school every day. Oh, now, goodness. granted, he, he does actually have a phone, but you know, kids do different things at different times. Sure. He didn't used to have a phone and he still walked to school. So I decided that my child, once she was not under the supervision of an adult at all time, at all times that she could have a phone. And that was why I chose to allow her to have a phone. Now, so how do we make that decision? This is what I would suggest parents think about. Does the child need a smartphone or a phone to stay connected to you for emergencies, i.e. is there not another adult around? Do they know what kind of apps are okay or not okay to download? And that means do mom and dad know, right? So mom and dad have homework to do. And I'm sure. just like all of them. I, I, you know, I didn't, psychiatry residency doesn't train you in this. Sure. Right. Um, do they know how to surf the web safely? Do they know who it's okay to communicate with and who not? Do they know what they should or shouldn't share online? Um, do they know what kinds of words or pictures should or should not be sent? Do they respect your rules in other ways? Or do they have a hard time with that? Do they have an understanding of voice and text and data limits? Because not all of us have unlimited data on our plans, right? Do they have, do they understand how to take care of a phone and not lose it? 
there are a lot of responsibilities that a parent needs to think about. And there's going to be a lot of pressure that they feel from their child. Yeah. I've definitely met parents and there are parents who've withheld phones for far longer, you know, until freshman year, et cetera. But some parents do end up having a child who feels ostracized or, or not just ostracized, but, but really left out because they can't communicate with their friends about things to do. And their friends sort of forget to include them. And it, it's not intentional, but they, they end up at a disadvantage so, you know, it is a modern world and we, we do have to weigh those questions, but it's very important to take a, a real hard look at yeah. whether your child needs it and if, and if they're ready and whether the parent themselves knows to educate their child. And I think, and that's just the screen time. That's not even the social media aspect, which I know could be right. a whole another thing, but I want to tie it because I know we're limited on time. Depression and anxiety, and I'm sure it's all related, mm-hmm. has been increasing. Children, tweens, mm-hmm. teens. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I hear stories of suicide, I'm like, what is going on? I fear, mm-hmm. I fear, I fear. What are some of the causes of this increase? And what are signs and symptoms that parents should look out for, even for the little ones? You know, what is normal tantrum and seeing rage to someone who is really struggling, being bullied? Let's let's dive into that, I guess, as best as we can, because I'm sure we can have a full long conversation on just that. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about that. So there, you know, Yes, there is an increasing suicide attempts and suicidal ideation and depression and anxiety in general are increasing in children. It's a crisis. And, you know, we're all asking ourselves, you know, what is going on? Why is this? And, you know, there are a lot of different components. And, And I think things were worsening probably even before COVID. COVID obviously played a role in South Florida. COVID is still playing a role. And, and in the world, right? Because our children missed out on a year in school, sure. they had to do online. So a lot of them either struggled there, or they struggled and actually didn't learn. And then they've been reintegrated, but are behind. So they had some school failure going on and some catch up. A lot of them became very socially anxious. A lot of them lost friends and became very isolated. A lot of them really were sort of afraid for the state of the world. And, and it, it, it threw them into, a, in, a, in a way, adulthood in a way that they hadn't been before. And it was unexpected for them. There are some things about COVID, for instance, in South Florida, you know, a lot of people moved to Florida, and a lot of people's rents increased, and a lot of people got priced out of their homes. There's been a lot of financial hardship as a result of COVID. And a lot of people don't really talk about that financial hardship for children in a family is very stressful, very, very stressful. So parents losing their jobs or having to move because their rent was tripled is really difficult. And people forget about that. Now, this massive increase in mental health needs has also squeezed the resources that we have, right? We don't necessarily have more resources just because we have a mental health crisis. I mean, you know, there are some more, but people have a very hard time finding mental health care. And so they're going without. And so people are without treatment, things are just worsening and worsening. And that's a real problem, right? Because then we don't get care until we go to the emergency room 
already, you know, suicidal. Sure. Um, so, but the other thing, you know, to, to take into account is social media, gaming, screen time, phones, you know, COVID did ha have an impact on the use of screens in all of society, right? For good and for bad. And children are now on those phones and addicted, right? And they're up really late at night and they can become extremely sleep deprived. And for me, sleep is extremely important. It's so important to mental health and to function in school yes. and society. And children are extremely sleep deprived and that causes mental illness. It does. Another good book is Why We Sleep by Chris Walker. Fascinating amazing book by the sleep expert of the world. Sleep deprivation is deadly in so many ways. Now, you don't even have to be on significant social media apps to, to suffer from cyberbullying. You can just be on a group text yeah. and have the worst bullying and, yeah. and the worst problems, right? A WhatsApp chat group where kids are being nasty you know, or excluding you or question, you know, there, the bullying has become very sophisticated, but it doesn't have to be on any sort of sophisticated sure. social media app for it to happen. The comparison to other people on, you know, Instagram and things like that, where people look perfect or seem perfect or have more likes or friends or et cetera, that is damaging ultimately to self-esteem. But it doesn't even have to be that deep for it to be cutting, right? You could just be in your WhatsApp group of six friends and yeah. be excluded, right? Part of the problem that I've seen in my in my work on my on my inpatient unit is that when I see children who have gotten access to phones earlier, because they, you know, developmentally, their judgment and decision making abilities are still really evolving, they don't really evaluate risks and con consequences very well. So children are very easily groomed, or very easily pressured into doing things that, well, they either don't know better, or they do yeah. know better, and they do it against their better judgment. But I've met too many children who are sending pictures of themselves in compromising positions, and then the picture gets out. So many children, more than I could count, that I see on my child psychiatry inpatient unit with suicidal ideation, not always because that ha that gets leaked, but it it's it's in the mix, sure. right? Decisions that were not, you know, made in the best of circumstances. Children who are vulnerable to, you know, cyberbullying are children who might be struggling with mood problems in the first place, who might already have social anxiety, who might be going through family difficulties, yeah. you know, a divorce, who are in difficult boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, gay, lesbian, bi, you know, trans, queer, everybody, that population is especially high risk. There's a lot of discrimination, you know, there's a, there's, there's just a lot of difficulty for them. And so there, you know, I, I do see quite, quite a high number of, you know, LGBTQ kids on my unit as well. Sure. And 
so a parent listening to this, like immediately we think fear, right? We're like, whew, there's a lot of information there. What it sounds like to me is number one, if you're going to expose your ch- children to social media, have real, true, honest, transparent conversations. That's point blank number Absolutely. one. And if you can't, and if you can't, then they probably shouldn't get the phone or be have access to the social media. I know as an adult, we can have our imposter syndrome and social media and all the things of looking at it, comparing ourselves. I can only imagine to a child, as you said, who's prefrontal cortex isn't even completely fully developed and all the things that come along with the brain development, right? But what are some signs and symptoms? So let's say someone listening is like, oh, but no, family life is good. You know, my child wakes up, smiles on their face, all is well in the world. You have Mm -hmm. those instances where the mother's like, I didn't know. I had no clue that they were struggling. Let's talk about those instances. What are some signs and symptoms? Right. So the first thing I want to tell you is, yes, there are those parents who say I have no clue because children do hide it from their parents. So I want all the moms who are listening to know that that children don't want to upset you. They don't want to make waves. They might not want to tell you because not because they don't love you or you're not doing a good job, but because they kind of want to protect you and kind of want to maintain the status quo. Right. But, you know, signs that they might be depressed or suicidal. So loss of interest in their usual, you know, their originally well-liked activities like their sports or their art or things like that. Withdrawal from friends, from family, from teachers they may have liked. Somatic symptoms, so stomach aches, headaches, you know, school refusal, fatigue, just generalized fatigue. So, you know, sleeping a lot or not at all, eating a lot, or not at all, you know, sort of changes. So refusing school, like I mentioned, but also grades dropping, you know, or decline in in the quality of the schoolwork, that can really be an important sign that, you know, for parents to pick up. Depression can kind of, I mean, it's like a, it causes cognitive impairments, really. It causes poor concentration, lack of motivation, forgetfulness, fatigue, you know, it, 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 you know, I sometimes tell the kids on my unit, depression makes you stupid. You know, you read the same thing over and over and over again, and you forget, you know, it, it, it makes it really hard. And parents sometimes think like, oh, you're being lazy or you're this or you're that, but actually something more might be going on. Obviously, if your child is making open statements, like I wish I was dead, or, you know, I won't be a problem for you much longer, you know, obviously, you want to take that seriously, you know, if they seem sad and down. And, you know, children with low self esteem, or, you know, can be particularly vulnerable. So those are some of the, you know, of the signs and symptoms that, you know, that withdrawal, that decrease in function, Sometimes kids will, you know, stop even wanting to shower. They they don't dress the same way they used to. They're irritable. They drop all their friends, things like that. And I would imagine what I'm also hearing is because I can hear the parents say, oh, like you said, they're lazy. And it's like, I would imagine Mm -hmm. it also boils down to, you know, your child, go by your instinct. A lot of parents don't want to rock the boat. Maybe they think the relationship Mm -hmm. is going to change if they keep pushing. But from what you're saying is like, if you see any kind of change, push, push and try and really understand what is going on. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, tips for parents are do not, I mean, the most important is do not be afraid to ask your child. Yes. Because your child may be afraid to tell you 
or not want to rock the boat, right? And and we can't have both people not wanting to rock the boat. <laughs> Somebody has to rock the boat, right? Sure. So don't be afraid to to ask your child, you know, say, are you feeling down or depressed? You know, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Have you ever yeah. thought about it? Take them seriously, you know, don't sort of shrug them off. If they say, I want to kill myself, you know, don't just necessarily shrug it off as being dramatic, you know, listen to them, watch how they're behaving, encourage them to spend, like, try and draw them out, try and bring them, you know, get them to do things with you, take them out. I I think it's really important to just talk about in terms of prevent prevention, like healthy lifestyle. I personally feel that, for instance, exercise is suicide prevention. I feel that from as early as humanly possible, we should have our children involved in organized sports. Yes. It not just facilitates physical fitness and all of those, you know, healthy hormones, et cetera, but it's socialization. It's a peer group teaches children to deal with failure Uh and to pick themselves back up to persevere and it maintains a healthy body. And it's, it's really very important. I, I definitely consider it to be suicide prevention. Also healthy nutrition. So, you know, not having children, you know, drink sugar. So juice, as a pediatrician, I discourage. It's liquid calories. It doesn't provide any nutritional value and it, it can cause emotional dysregulation. Same with sugar cereals and candy. Now, I mean, I love candy, but we oh, were definitely. only allowed sugar cereal once a year in my house when I was little and we don't have it in my house now. I mean, you obviously have to choose your battles, but but healthy food is, is going to is going to help your child function. When I found out recently a patient of mine, a suicidal patient of mine lives on Lucky Charms, I was very chagrined because yes. that's not going to help her mood. Sure. Right? But that's the education of parents not understanding that your diet, I mean, that's again, a whole nother conversation how, yeah, we're very big on that as well. And like you said, you could pick your battles. Thankfully, I think there's better companies out there doing better things, you know, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. to, to round this up, I mean, you're, you're a physician, you're, you know, look, you say you have suicidal patients that you, that you have, if you can sum it up for the mommies listening and the dads, parents listening, what are some things that you say, listen, if there's anything you're going to take from this conversation, let's do a recap X, Y, Z. And then also can people connect with you? I know you're at um, Joe DiMaggio. Um, I guess, do you see patients through Joe DiMaggio or is it more of like an emergency thing? I guess it's kind of like a two part, how you want to end this and kind of recap and say, look, parents know this. And then part two, do you see, you know, outside patients through Joe DiMaggio? Right. So I'm an inpatient psychiatrist. So if your child is brought to the Joe DiMaggio emergency department and they're admitted to my unit, that's where I work. And I, you know, so I see who is admitted to my inpatient unit. You know, takeaways for parents, communicate with your child, monitor their social media use, make sure they sleep. If your child is already in treatment and on medication, you control that medication, not your child. Make sure that your child, that no children in the house have access to any pills. All pills should be locked up and stored because children are impulsive. 
you know, so monitor that, store away firearms, alcohol, make your home a safe place. You know, if your child is anxious or depressed, you can check with your insurance for providers, talk to your pediatrician, talk to the school counselor, you know, call 211. If your child is expressing, you know, that they're suicidal, that's a time to make either an urgent appointment with a counselor. If they've made a suicide attempt, that's when you, you know, call 911 or bring them to the emergency department, right? It's important to communicate with your child so you can make sure and prevent this from happening. When you see warning signs to act then, right? Before something happens. Thank you so much, Dr. Hamilton. I feel like I could have kept talking. I had so many questions of like raising kids is not for the faint of heart. It's hard. There's a lot of outside factors, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some really, really great tips. Uh, I'll put all this in the show notes of just different resources that are available through Joe DiMaggio, as well as the Memorial Healthcare Systems. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Again, I really appreciate your having me. I, I appreciate it. It's very flattering. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.